Welcome to the second season of the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. In season two, we will take a deeper dive into how the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment, cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding for each and every student. I am honored to share these conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers with you. Today's episode is sponsored by Pinnacle Assurance, Colorado's trusted workers' compensation provider. Thank you so much for listening in. Many of today's teachers are faced with a new challenge that we may have never imagined in the past. How do we teach students who are beside us as well as those who are learning at home? Today, PEBC Lab hosts Jen Bronner and Jennifer Engebretson are joining me on PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast to discuss their experiences with hybrid learning. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Let's dive right in with introductions and just a brief overview of what's going on in your classrooms with hybrid instruction. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for inviting me back. I'm really honored to be back on the podcast. Um, last time I talked to you guys, I was just getting ready to do hybrid. And so I was going from 100% online learning, teaching sixth grade this year and moving into hybrid. Then I went back online full time. So our numbers spiked. And then I came back in January hybrid. So I have been since the second week of January teaching four days a week in the classroom. <clears throat> One day a week, I am asynchronous at home. And of those four days, I get group A on Tuesday, Wednesday, and I get group B on Thursday, Friday. And I have a third set of kids who are 100% online learners at home the whole time. So I actually kind of have three groups of kids that I keep in mind. I skipped a little bit about who I am, but I'm Jen Bronner, and I have been in the field of education for about 20 years, most of it teaching middle school. Um, and I've taught from rural Virginia to urban um, Boston and Denver Public Schools, and then also in the suburbs currently. So um, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Jen, it's so great to see you. And I thank you for introducing yourself and giving us that context. So we want to keep in mind, Jen, middle school language arts, kind of working with three different groups of students. Let's toss it over to Jennifer. Thanks for having me back as well, Michelle. Um, my name is Jennifer Engbretson, and I teach um, ninth and 10th grade math in Denver, Colorado. And um, I also was on the podcast in the fall where I was also 100% remote. And we were actually 100% remote until January. So we never had any in-classroom time until the second week of January when we were thrown into hybrid. Uh, similarly to Jen, I have multiple groups of students. So we actually have four groups of students. I have some students that I see Monday, Tuesday, some students that I see Wednesday, Thursday, some students that I see all four days of the week, and then another group of students who are virtual all four days a week. But every day I'm teaching all the same kids in the same space. So in the computer with part of the kids and in the classroom with the other part of the kids and they change every few days. Wow. <laughs> I, we're like, wow. Like we're just thinking about what teachers are doing right now. It's incredible. And just hearing both of your schedules, I know that there are teachers who are listening who are like, yep, I hear you. That mm -hmm. is exactly the path that I'm walking in. 
Um, when it comes to your schedules, it sounds like you both have a predictable schedule and routine for each week. So your students know where they're going to be when. Have you had many disruptions in terms of you know, COVID quarantining or testing or weather-related closures? Has anything else been disruptive in your system or have you been able to pretty much stick to the system that you have? I think for us, it's been pretty predictable. We've had a couple of snow days. The first snow day, we had remote learning, so we all transitioned back. But then this last weekend, we actually did have a snow day. So uh, other than just a few interruptions, it's been pretty consistent. And students have been really good for me about if they're not going to be in school, they just log on. So we have some students that are supposed to be sitting in my classroom and they pop up in the virtual space and I'm just happy to see them either way. Uh, but that's really been it for us. How about for you, Jen? I, I think our changes really happened a lot as it was like the growing pains of the fall. Um, once we went hybrid in um, late October, early November, I think it was, we got our final schedule, but up until that, we had three different versions of a schedule. Um, and so like the daily schedule for kids. So that was a, just a lot of changes as it kept getting tweaked to meet needs of all the different stakeholders, parents and parents had given a lot of feedback. And so, you know, since then it's been pretty consistent other than a little bit of weather closures. But um, the other piece about my schedule that's been really different from I think a lot of experiences is that my school did not just, they decided not to do a quarter or semester rotation. They decided to do an every three week rotation. So I actually, not only do I have my AB kids, but I change those kids every three weeks. So I see half of my, for, uh, for, for my term, I'll see half my kids for three weeks and then I'll see the other half for three weeks. Um, and, and I'm on trimester. So I would say that, um, that has been, uh, while it's been consistent, it has been a real challenge <laughs> to only see kids for three weeks. Because by the time you're at that third week, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. This is where we are. This is what you need. And this is how I serve you. And then, boom, you're gone. <laughs> you <know>? so, <laughs> and you're remembering the other set of kids. Uh, so that's it. And it was done well intended so that kids wouldn't go for 12 weeks or 16 weeks without any math or without any reading at, at sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade level. So I totally support and get the intention. And my please don't hear what I'm saying as a negative towards that. But it's been a real um, it's been a real interesting challenge along relationships and community building. Absolutely. So I think, you know, Jen, what you just brought up is that no one has walked this path before. And so as a community of educators, everyone is striving to meet the needs of kids in the very best ways they know how. And hybrid learning has been one of the, I think, options that has presented itself that's been most effective. Um, and there's been you know, a lot of other systems and structures changes based on where you are in the country and your school district and your own school. What I'd love to dive into for both of you are the successes and then maybe talking about some of the challenges. So when you think about this experience, particularly your experience with hybrid instruction, what has been your biggest success or what maybe has worked better than you ever anticipated? For me, I think still being able to see my students thinking has been something that I 
really thought a lot about how I used to be able to see what my students were doing and formatively assess over and over and over by just circulating the classroom. And then when we went remote, I was like, how do I see my kids thinking? How do I peek over their shoulders when they're sitting behind a blank computer screen? And so did a lot of thinking about what that looks like in the fall. And then with tools like Pear Deck and Desmos and um, collaborative Google Slides and things like that. And then transitioning that into still, how do I do that now with my students in the classroom and my students still at home? And so surprisingly to me, I, I think like sticking with what worked in remote learning and transitioning that into the hybrid space allowed me still to be able to like formatively assess my students and make real-time instructional decisions based on what my students were understanding and where they needed more support in ways that I was able to when we were in person. Wow. So you did a transfer in some ways of what was working and you found it to be successful with just a few tweaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really great. Jen, how about for you? What was been your biggest success or something that was a surprise that was surprisingly impactful? Yeah. Um, and I was reflecting through the framework a little bit and thinking through that. Um, I always go back to planning. I always find myself living in that space. And I think in part because I had to revamp every single unit to be three weeks, which actually when you take out the asynchronous day and most terms had, you know, one holiday day or something, I was really teaching units in 11 days. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> I see both of you make this face like, whoa. So uh, it, 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 I had to just tighten up my planning ever so much. And I just, I did not let go of that life worthiness piece, right? Mm -hmm. What makes us engaging? And I and probably emphasized it even more because I felt like I really needed to make sure kids had a reason to show up. Um, and so that those essential questions, those meaningful pieces were really important. Um, and I would say also just planning out the groupings that kids would work with was really invaluable. It always mattered to me, but, um, I really had a mix of some strategic, flexible groupings that I planned and groupings that kids picked in throughout the different three-week units. And so, because my, one of my other um, mindsets for this year has been they, they, they need a reason to show up socially and it can't just be to come in, hear me talk about what to do, and then they go work asynchronously. Like, I let go of pretty early on that I needed to release them off the meat. I, I really structured our meets. This is probably a shift that was unexpected for me. Um, but I really structured our meets to where they were doing a lot of group work and a lot of touchstones with each other multiple times, um, a period sometimes, you know, and I, I have them for 90 minutes. So it's a long, long block. And I'm not saying that I always held them for 90 minutes online, but I kind of gave myself permission to let go of this whole idea that I had to have a synchronous 45 minutes and an asynchronous 45 minutes. That wasn't reality um, when I wanted them to do group work and, and cooperative and collaborative structures. Wow. So that that was just a great success that I've had because uh, I've stayed pretty constant making sure I developed that as I planned for it. So I want to dig a little deeper into both of your successes because you both touched on, you know, key strands of the PBC teaching framework. Jennifer, for you, assessment, knowing your kids really well, knowing where they are, and being able to plan those next steps for your mathematicians is critical. And Jen, for you, 
this idea around planning around life worthiness and those social and emotional kind of touch points are also critical. So what I'm thinking about kind of drilling down a little bit, you know, Jennifer, let's start with you. When you think about formative assessment and you think about that work that you did in your classroom, you know, their hybrid environment and the work that's going on, what's been critical to your success or critical to your students' success? I, similar to what Jen talked about planning, I think being really intentional about what do I need to know from my students and what's the best way to get that information in a way that I can easily then act upon it as a teacher. And so thinking about how do I ask certain questions on my Pear Deck slides? What even type of Pear Deck slide do I want to use? Do I want them to be able to draw and write all over the slide? Or do I want to have like a text response that I can throw up on Word? And so really being very intentional about the ways in which I want to collect that student work so that I can make really intentional instructional decisions. We also do Google form exit tickets every day. And I have like a tracker that tells me exactly what students got it, what students missed it so that the next day in the do now I can support them in different ways. And so I think that like really thinking about the planning and my formative assessment has been super critical because I think we can ask lots of different questions, but if we're not asking the right questions or getting the information in a way that we can actually act upon it, then it, it's not serving us to be able to like change instruction for students. Absolutely. Can I add on to that too? Yeah, because, please do. Um, assessment's been huge for me too. And I think it's because I, I, like you said, Jennifer, so well that that circulating around the rooms, pausing with kids and conferring, all of a sudden you, you know, I, I miss that. And I could still get it from my hybrid, from the kids in person for me. Um, but I wanted to make sure I was still making, you know, tracking everyone, including those 100% home learners that were never in front of my face, really intentional trying to remember them. But um, I just, I, I found what I would do instead of daily exit tickets, they did weekly ones, but I would also make sure that I was sitting down and looking at their double entry diary, diaries or their researchers notebooks and giving so much more immediate feedback on that than I would have done in the past. And um, that's been really beneficial. Once we did get into hybrid, I did enjoy being able to circulate around the class though, because I could get half the students kind of where they were and I could get that quick piece. Um, and I did eventually figure out a system. I do want to mention this because that, that time in the workshop model, when you're conferring and you're going around, I, I did struggle at first to decide, do I, do I try to like keep conferring with everybody or do I try to focus on the kids in front of me? You know, how do I do that? And I, I ultimately in the hybrid decided that I would still do my checklist of who I've conferred with and keep track of that. But I would intentionally try to target once I got kids going, I would intentionally try to target the kids in front of me so they could really get that immediate timely feedback. I could get a little bit of a broader sense. I also would, there's always a handful of kids that need a little help getting started right away. So usually if they were online, I might pull them into a breakout room first before I release myself to go circulate. And I say release myself from the computer because there's a lot of sitting at the computer. you know. And then when kids would switch, I would put them front and center. And then I would always make sure each week that I was checking in with that 100% home learner. So putting them somewhere in the schedule of mm. So 
that was just a, a, a nice connection, I think, where that formative assessment comes in and ties so important to the workshop model. But I had to make some really intentional decisions. And Jen, I similarly struggled with the exact same thing about how do I confer with, who do I confer with, how do I do this? And I found myself um, trying to split my time and even telling my kids in person, like, okay, I'm going to go into the virtual world now. I'll plug in my, my earbuds. And then I'm like, just shout at me if you need me, but like, I'm going to be in the virtual world. And one thing that I got to share on the podcast in the fall was that I would put my students in individual breakout rooms during their asynchronous work time. Uh, similar to you, Jen, I was not going to let my students log off because I wanted to go around and talk to every one of them. And so my kids stayed with me the whole period too. And so I would put them still in their individual breakout rooms, but then be able to go in and have like private conversations with them. Mm-hmm. I had to be really careful not to use their name, right? I don't want the students in the room to know who I'm talking yeah. to. Yeah. So it felt a little bit funny because I'm like, hey, <laughs> normally would say your name, but not going to say your name out loud or I'm going to type something in the chat for you. But I was still able to have some of those conversations. But I did try to be really like, I'm going to go in the virtual world for three more minutes and then I'll, I'll then I'll circulate and try to go back and forth between it. Um, first, your podcast in the fall helped me just give myself permission to like put everyone in a breakout room or however long. So I want to thank you for that. And then secondly, I echo everything, putting your headphones on, you're digging in, you know, one of the differences of going from hundred percent online to hybrid is you do actually lose a little bit of that privacy of those breakout room conversations. And it's different than it would have been if we're all in the classroom, everybody's overhearing us and we kind of accept it, but it felt different. It still feels different. If I am in a breakout room with a kid one-on-one, I am really trying to lower my voice, but of course I've got a mask on and, you know, it's, it is a very interesting situation. I'm still not comfortable with it, but I do exactly like you. I try to as much protect the privacy of that person that I'm talking to. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. I still mess up on it sometimes. You know, I've also got kids getting pulled out for LST rooms and things. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, remember to go to LST, you know, and I don't say LST, but it's it's an interesting process. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up. I hadn't even like registered that that was all the little things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Switch into Mm -hmm. that hybrid mode. Well, and really Mm -hmm. caring for kids. I mean, I know Chris Devani always calls it tending. How do we tend Mm -hmm. to our students so that they can stay engaged? And part of that is just really being aware of what are all of the the social norms, the social constraints, the impacts of hybrid learning on our students as individuals. I love how you two are just building off of ideas and sharing your experience with one another. I think we've started to really unpack, you know, what has been successful and what have been of some of those really fortunate surprises in some ways. We'll think about some challenges. Is there anything you're still working through or trying to mitigate that might be interesting for us to talk about? I think in the sense of like conferring with kids and figuring that out, I, I, I struggle being able to quote unquote, see my kids every day. We know that most of them are little black squares on a zoom call, but in the fall, I figured out a way to have an individual private conversation with every one of my students. And when we switched, our schedule was 10 minutes shorter. There's so much more going on. 
that I, especially in the first few weeks, left class being like, well, I haven't talked to my student individually in three days. They Mm -hmm. sat on my call for 70 minutes for three days in a row, and I never had a private conversation with them. And that just like hurts my soul um, because I want them to feel seen. And yes, they got feedback in the form of a comment in, in a Pear Deck slide, but they didn't have an individual conversation. They, I don't feel like they felt seen. And so that was something that I is still struggling and still figuring out. I'm one human. I can't be in 30 places at one time. But thinking about what I shared just a minute ago, like just being really mindful of, okay, I'm going to go into the virtual space for, you know, a few minutes and pop those breakout rooms and then circulate really quickly and then just alternate that way. And then just like run around wildly for 70 minutes (laughs) for times all of the classes you teach. Um, But really focusing on, I, I wanted to make Uh, Jen, similar to what you said about like making sure that you're having those conversations with your fully virtual students, like that had to be my focus because I knew that my other students would be in my room at some point during the week. And so I would have a list of my fully virtual students. And those were the first rooms I went into after I got everybody started who needed to get started, but needed to have those conversations with those students who I knew weren't going to show up in my physical space at some point in that week. So that they knew that they were seen. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would echo all of what Jennifer just said. Um, I mean, I think related for me, I'm still sorely missing just the tables and couches that are no longer in my classroom. I have desks and I used to have tables. We actually did a Socratic seminar and at that point, I actually, <clears throat> with our last unit, when we did Socratic seminars, I did an all online group, and then I did an all in person group, because it was too hard for everybody to navigate those spaces, which worked out great. But the all in person group, when I set the chairs in a socially distant circle, they were like, Oh, and I was like, Oh, you guys, this is what my classrooms normally like, <laughs> like, you get a little feel of me, and I get a little feel of you that's not as COVID impacted. But I, I, I do just achingly miss when we talk about community and the way our physical space feeds us. I miss that. And I think I have to remind myself because I'm human and I'm so drawn to those kids that are in person in front of me and they will raise their hand more and they will participate more than those online that I always have to keep going back. Um, and I'm still a work in progress in this of like, I do more cold call than I used to like, Hey, those of you online, could you just share? I'm going to call and you know, and I do it respectfully. Like after they've had a breakout room session or some time to write, then I will call upon some of those kids, um, you know, and, and I'm thoughtful about who I can do that with or not. So um, the other thing that's really interesting and still a challenge, I feel like it's a little bit like August is the, but it's, you know, I've been hybrid now for almost three months, but um, as we're renorming constantly. So I have all sixth graders this year who had never been in a middle school yet, right? And um, they, um, they're just so excited to see each other. And they haven't been in a normalized group situation since last March. So when you only come into school for two days a week, there's just this energy. And so it's like, it is, I'm still working on like, okay, 
let's all come together. It's not a me, it's a we, you know, this is how we come back and listen. No, let's, let's raise our hands or let's, let's listen instead of shouting out across the class when somebody else is talking, right? I mean, it's, it is a constant renorming. Um, And I actually, um, on March 30th, will actually return to full time four days a week with everybody. So I know I'm going to be renorming again. (laughs) Even a kid today walked out and he said, what's it going to be like when we're all here? I was like, yeah. (laughs) So this, so I, I bring it up as a challenge because there's part of me that's like, we have been together for so long in the school year, but I have to remember that actually I'm going to go back to probably about September. Um, And I'm really grateful for the community norming that we did, even though we were virtual, right? And I took that jam board and I transferred it to a slide when we were online. And now I've transferred it to an anchor chart because half of us are in the classroom. And so going back and, and just uh, making the time, I'm going to end up having to just go slower, right? I'm going to have to end up prioritizing again. What do I cut out so that we're not all stressed, so that the work we're doing is quality work and that we're still attending to our community? And there's a lot of that that's happened. Um, and just keep being okay with that because sometimes that can feel uncomfortable or that I'm, you know, there's a lot of language around they're missing out and what they're not getting and just to to like kind of step back into my own hula hoop and say, actually, we're doing really good here. We're going to attend to these pieces and and the work we are doing, we're doing with quality. So. Wow. You know, you think about how many first days of school have kids had this year? So many. We, and teachers too. Yes. We've had a lot of restarts. A lot of restarts. Constant change. Constant change. Mm-hmm. We are flexibility on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that both of you are making me thinking about or think about is this idea of like finding humanity in hybrid learning. Like you're both just talking about people and kids and that the humanity that needs to be part of our classrooms and part of our instruction and that being seen every day and being able to interact with others and having a safe environment and having you know, something to think about that's worthy of our time. And here we are, you know, Jen, you're facing another first day of school in just a few weeks. And Jennifer, it sounds like you probably will return to more in-person learning in the fall. But I think it'd be really interesting to hear from both of you, what are you going to take forward? Like, you know, I know that you're both so reflective and very asset-based in your instruction and your reflection. When you think about this hybrid learning experience. What do you want to remember or bring forward as you return to full in-person learning either this spring or in the fall? Well, I won't be keeping my desks and nice neat rows. (laughs) Clearly the moment I can shift back, we are, we are recreating our physical space. Had a lot of affirmations of making sure that those beliefs in engagement and discourse and community still matter, no matter what the learning platform is. And, and I would say even reinforcement just from kids and parents who go, oh, wow, the social part of learning has been really um, highlighted. Um, 
I think more even just kind of grainy and I didn't even talk about this piece of it. Um, shorter focus lessons. I got really good at giving shorter lessons. Not always, but when I tried to do blended learning and do some post focus lessons and stuff, I, I had to redo them a couple of times. So I got better. Um, and that I'll keep that because that was always feedback from kids like Miss Bronner, your, your focus lessons are too long. And that I, you know, yes, you know, and having that when you record yourself and you look at that time and you say, this is going to be six minutes or less and it's six 22, you're like, Oh, I got to re-record, Right. So, um, and, uh, so I want to keep trying to do some of those blended learnings. I think they were helpful and, um, but I don't need to do them all. I'll pause there. There's a couple other things, but I'd love to hear what Jennifer's takeaways are too. Yeah, I, I think a, a lot of the things that you said are things that I want to take too. Of course, moving my desks back in groups, um, is the first thing that needs to happen. Um, I, I think one thing that I am really appreciative of this year is some of the structures that we've put in place that have made students a little bit more independent um, and have involved families a little bit more. So I got really smart about how do I really efficiently communicate with students and families about their progress on a weekly basis that's a very low lift for me. So I ha have some technology tools that I use to send weekly grade updates and things for students and families. And that has allowed students to really know where they are and be a lot more productive, uh, like proactive about what they're missing, what they need to do, uh, really putting the learning in their hands. And so I've really appreciated that and want to make sure that that's something I carry forward even when I can see them in my classroom and it's a lot easier for me to just go and look and say, you're missing this assignment, but no, you empowering my students to be um, independent in finding those things, I think has been something that I've really appreciated, especially as ninth and 10th graders when, you know, they're going into the world in two or three years. And so I need to make sure that they like have those skills. Um, and like just the structure of my, like Schoology course and things like that, the materials that we really streamline to make things as easily accessible for students as possible. I've really appreciated. We've started giving answer keys where students can check their work. And then because, because they have the answers, we've been able to be like, well, I don't care about the answer. I care about your work and your thinking. Mm -hmm. And so then students are, again, more independent at asking like, I'm confused on where my mistake was. Can you help me figure out my issue versus I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to leave it blank. They knew what the answer is. And then they really wanted to figure out like what went wrong in getting there. And so some of those pieces I've, I've really appreciated that I didn't think would like have come out of this. I, I didn't really focus on them. Um, but they're definitely things that I'm gonna take moving forward. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, the two of you and just the way that you can take this very challenging situation and then link right back to your beliefs, but then also see the positives. You can see those next steps moving forward, which you might want to take with you and you know implement next year. When we think about um, just this time of this year and your time with your students, um, I'd love to wrap up our conversation today by sharing a hope. What are you hopeful for? 
as we wrap up the 2021 school year. I, this is Jen. I am really hopeful that people, <clears throat> there's so many, there's so many things impacting the statement, but I'm really hopeful that um, people will see the assets that have been gained and that people will, um, that aren't measured by CMS, they're not going to be measured by SAT of what kids have figured out um, sometimes well, sometimes not so well, but there's a lot they've figured out. And I'm really hopeful that um, as a society and these, this generation coming up, that they walk away with the resilience of knowing they can live through that time of uncertainty. I'm thinking back to our symposium, and I've done a lot of reflecting on that, that life is filled with uncertainty. And this has been a particularly big one and a large, globally impactful one where everybody's felt it. But perhaps we'll have much more resilience and much more empathy for uh, others who are going through uncertainty. And that's one of my greatest hopes. Mm, Thank you. Jennifer, how about for you? I think I'm just hopeful that our kids walk away seeing their brilliance and how they have adapted to every changing situation and everything that's been thrown at them. And they see the growth that they have made because just like Jen said, it might not show up on CMAS or on the SAT, but our students have gained skills that took me 30 plus years to to learn and our students had to figure it out sitting behind a computer screen, not being able to see their friends or go to school. And so I'm just hopeful that they see their, their brilliance and their power and what they've, what they've overcome. Wow. Well, thank you both so very much. Thank you for the invitation. joining us today. I hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. I would like to thank our sponsor. Pinnacle Assurance is Colorado's leading workers' compensation provider. For over 100 years, they've been at the forefront of protecting, understanding, and caring for workers and local businesses with trusted coverage and expert safety resources and services. The ways we work will undoubtedly evolve, but the need for worker protection always remains the same. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Wardhofer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized, on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram.